Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the On The Record podcast. I'm your host, Devin Watley. This week, I'm joined by NWSL analyst, analyst for CBS Sports and the Big Ten Network, Anna Witte. Anna, thanks so much for joining me. Hey, Devin. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for being on. Always a pleasure to have people on. I wanted to start, of course, we're going to talk about the NWSL decision days coming up. A lot of big things happening uh, in the soccer world. But first, I wanted to dive a little bit into your sort of journalism career because your career, when I was looking through your whole bio and things like that, is so interesting to me. Um, you went to Penn State. You were an a-, a student athlete, you know, one of the student athlete to uh, analyst pipeline. What sort of got you into wanting to do broadcast sports and, and sports journalism in general? What What sort of motivated you to get into that path? Yeah, it's such a good question. Honestly, Devin, I don't know a time when I didn't want to be a sports broadcaster. My entire career, I guess, ever since I was like six years old, I knew that I wanted to work in sports and and talk to athletes and kind of tell people's stories, but also talk about sports because I've always been interested, not just soccer, but football, basketball. I've always really enjoyed uh, watching. I always used to get up early before school and make sure I caught the last 10 minutes of Sports Center before I had to leave. So it was always something that I wanted to do. And you mentioned um, Penn State, and I knew that Penn State had an amazing journalism program. That was a huge piece of me deciding to go to Penn State because I wanted that education, I wanted that experience. Um, I knew people who, who came out of Penn State who were super successful in, in journalism and to be able to meet those people as well. So yeah, I think just my love for the game, my love for soccer, my love for football, um, my just experience, my childhood growing up with my parents being really passionate sports fans as well, kind of, there was really no other option in, in my mind. So yeah, it was it was very organic, I should say. I know a lot of people who get into journalism in the field to begin with, um, you know, when you're younger in the younger parts of their careers, they bounce around to a lot of different gigs. And I know you were bouncing around to a lot of different gigs as well to NFL films, your associate producer in this other station, mm-hmm. reporting and arena hosting. Um, how important was you to kind of just get that f- sort of feel in all these different roles in terms of getting you to where you wanted to be at with your dream job? Yeah, absolutely. I did not start talking or being on camera or being an analyst from the jump. To be quite honest, I I graduated college and I wasn't even sure if I wanted to go the reporter, the broadcaster route. So uh, it took me a few months, but I ended up in an awesome internship at NFL Films. I thought I wanted to get into the production side because I had such an incredible experience, kind of the behind the scenes. When I was there, it was Saquon Barkley was graduating. So I got to work on the show that he was going on to into the draft in so it was such a cool experience especially as a Penn Stater thought that's what I wanted to do and then I took the uh, associate producing position like you kind of said at a local news station in Virginia Beach I learned so much about writing and storytelling in general I wasn't really involved in sports then and I think from that experience learning how to write um, and how to put together stories I knew that's not how I wanted to go. I wanted to go more in the sports route. So that kind of took me back into producing smaller content. Then that kind of got me involved in the NWSL and MLS again. So it was just really good experience, exposure. I think meeting different people in this crazy business and kind of picking their brains as well and figuring out what exactly what I I wanted to do. And it took me probably three or four years to really 
figure out that I wanted to be. And I, I wanted to be a part of being on a broadcast. But what I learned when it came to writing, when it came to storytelling, when it came to shooting and editing my own stuff, I mean, I still do that. I, I'm, a, I'm a podcaster myself too. And I shoot and I edit and I would never be able to do that if I didn't have the experience of being an editor and, and working in production. So I think those things are so valuable, especially in the world of social media, that that's helped me in so many ways in my podcast career now. Like, like we mentioned, you know, now you're an analyst at, for the NWSL and, and the league is growing and it's a lot of exciting things um, for you, you know, being that you've been involved in the game for a bit, um, you know, what's it been like for you experience wise, just being able to, you know, be an analyst for these games and cover these games in, in, in general? Yeah, the NWSL has grown so much. This season was my third season uh, covering and being an analyst in the NWSL. I've been following the league for so long, uh, especially once I graduated college, just following friends and, and following peers and following the league. But it's been so impressive how quickly this league has grown. And um, I think it just shows the interest of women's soccer and not just the NWSL, but you look at WSL, you look at what England did after they won the Euros. You just look at, you know, other leagues across the world and how they've grown as well. Obviously, there's other leagues that, you know, still want to match what the NWSL is doing in so many ways. But what they poured into from a broadcast standpoint, what they poured into from the team and the resources that players get as well just shows on the field. But from a broadcaster standpoint, it's been really fun. The league as of now is only made up of 12 different teams. And I love that I can know about every single team, about all the players, the in-depth stories, because there's only so many teams, right? Like in other leagues, for example, the NFL, 32 teams, you can't know every storyline. But what to me makes the NWSL so fun is you kind of can know every storyline and you get to know these coaches when you talk to them before the broadcast. Um, you kind of get to know their quirks. You get to know some of the players. So it just makes it, to me, more fun because every week I feel like I get to know teams better and better. And towards the end of the season, like right now, for example, I feel like I know the big storylines, even some of the medium, small storylines for every team. And yeah, right now it's, it's a crazy time, especially with decision day coming up in a few days. But I think this league is in such a good position. And I, I'm really excited to see kind of where they go in the future too. Yeah, I followed the league um, a few years ago when they had their restart. Because remember, they were the first league to restart during COVID, um, I believe, back in, in Utah. And right. that was when I first um, started following them. And I remember, like, you know, wanting year for years, like, to, for San Diego to finally get a team. And then when the wave finally came here last year, it was a super great, yeah. um, relieving feeling to finally, you know, get a California team in there. Obviously, them in Angel City, too. Um, but for you, like, just take me through what goes on in your head when you're preparing for games as an analyst and you're, and you're heading into the broadcast booth and you're covering these teams, um, what's that sort of process like for you as a broadcaster? Well, especially when I'm covering the NWSL, I like to think about the matchup, uh, where the teams are at in their season, what their past two to three games have looked like, what different players have been in the rotation. Uh, are there going to be any defensive and offensive matchups that might really shine and might really take control of the game? Is there a team whose back line has been extremely inconsistent? Or even the midfield. The midfield is, is such a big piece of, of soccer. So I like to look at just different positions holistically, how the team has looked together, if there 
been any friendlies, especially this year with the World Cup, obviously. That changed a lot of different starting 11s. So then I kind of go um, into just figuring out what are the storylines within that and what are the most important pieces about this game who are the most important pieces in my opinion about this game obviously doing your your background research of knowing the players I watch a lot of film I, I watch you know every single game essentially throughout the season just to see how different players move uh, what their tendencies are who I think different players play well together and when they have their opportunities um, the league does a great job Jen Cooper does a really good job she um, is in charge of kind of just gathering the stats and she'll she'll send out different stat packets so that we can you know look even more in depth to different stats and I kind of look at that and see if there's anything that stands out going into a normal match but I'd say that's about it then obviously you know I prepare questions we get to talk to coaches and throughout those those conversations big storylines really start to develop and we kind of have an understanding of how each team wants to attack their opponent. So yeah, there's definitely a good amount of prep and, uh, but it's really fun and really exciting, especially in this league, because you know, we each team sees each other twice. There's always towards the end of the season, a team has already seen each other. So are there anything that the opposition might've learned um, from playing each other before, but there's so many different pieces, but I'd say the biggest piece for me as an analyst really at the end of that end of the day is watching film and knowing the tendencies of the individuals that are playing. When you're preparing your game notes, like do you, are you, are you having like 15, 20 pages of notes out on, in front of you or are you, are you more like, is it less of that way less of that? No way less. You know, Devin, I could never do 15, 20 notes. I, my brain would explode. Uh, sometimes it depends, right? Like, I have my boards and I put them out in a tactical way, um, different stickers. So Alex Morgan, for example, playing in the nine, um, I don't know, Emily Van Eggman normally plays in the six. So they'll be in those position on my boards, and the two teams will be going at each other. I obviously, I write down exactly what the coaches say. That's really important to me. And then I kind of have a section on my notes that just if there's any big notes, if there's any goal scoring differentials, if a player had a different game, but I, I like to look over it before the game actually starts and let my brain kind of absorb that information. And then once the game kind of kicks off, I like to watch the game. Obviously I'll keep, you know, two or three sheets of paper in front of me in case I need to reference anything. But overall, I do not like a ton of information because then that kind of detracts from the game, right? Like you want to call the action. You want to call what's happening in front of you. And I don't want to be distracted by any information that might have happened in the past. So it definitely depends on the game. Now, if it's a nil-nil match and there's literally nothing happening, then of course I'll kind of go back into my notes and see if there's anything else that I can dig up. But overall, no, I'd say like two to three sheets of paper on top of my boards. Have you ever had a sort of moment that stands out to you as a broadcaster, as an analyst from a game that you've been able to cover that just sticks out to you? Oh, that's a really good question. I've never thought about that before. A game that sticks out to me. I guess of late, this season in particular in the NWSL, Portland played against the Courage, and it was when Kelly Hubley got a red card. I think she got a red card in like the 15th, 16th minute, 
And this is when both teams were one and two in the standings. Um, it was later on in the season. I can't exactly remember what week it was, uh, but it was, I think, the final match of the weekend as well. So there was so much hype going into the game, right? And Kelly Hedley gets a red card. Tyler Lucy scores on that next play off of the free kick. And then Portland comes back. Hannah Bedford, who had a great opportunity in the Challenge Cup throughout the World Cup, she gets in the starting 11, has still been in the starting 11 for Portland. And she scores a goal. And then Sophia Smith comes back from the World Cup and scores the goal to beat the Courage at home. So to me, that was such an exciting game because – there was so much to talk about as a broadcaster in general. You talk about the red card and you talk about how that is a massive implication on how Portland is going to play the rest of the game. And then for Portland to beat North Carolina playing down a player uh, in the way and the fashion that they did, obviously the whole World Cup is a major storyline. Sophia Smith coming back and getting a little bit of redemption in Portland was just, you couldn't have scripted better, honestly. It was like, you know, Perfect. So I'd say that one is looking back on it right now, especially if I'm going to look back at the 2023 season, that's probably my favorite game of late. Yeah, I think for me, when I always think about the NWSL, I think about when the Wave first moved to Snapdragon Stadium, their new stadium, and they played Angel City for the first time in front of like the Mm -hmm. 34,000 people because I was in the crowd at that game. And it's like when you see an atmosphere like that where you have thousands of people and especially in a new market like san diego getting invested into women's soccer and into the game in general i I feel like those moments um really stand out even as people who follow the league i think it just makes the league um makes makes you realize how important the league is to a lot of people and how just the game of soccer is growing right every single day yeah i was at um i was at the game you're talking about the first game at snapdragon where they played angel city and I was covering it. I was on the field. I was in a different capacity covering it for Auto football. But I remember being on the field and how awesome it was to hear the crowd noise and to really just feel the fandom. And, and especially in California, it was really cool to see the fandom and just how many people came out to support the bound of people who drove down from L.A. to support their team as well. And man, in San Diego, they love Alex Morgan. They definitely show up for her they get really loud but no it's it's been really cool I think what Casey Stoney has built um, within that program is going to last a long time they're they're a really good team yeah certainly and we'll, and we'll get into more about them later on in the show but um, I wanted to also go back into your career a little bit because you also have had on-air um, stints from multiple places I mean um, you know Maryland like you mentioned Penn State and those on-air gigs that you got, um, do you feel like those sort of propelled you or gave you a better mindset in a sense of preparing for the analyst gig that you're in now? Like, did, did those roles help you in a sense? Totally, totally. I think everything that I've done leading up to where I'm at now has helped me tremendously. And I think the biggest thing for me, you, you mentioned the Maryland thing. And when I was uh, working for NBC Sports Washington, my boss uh, at the time moved over to Maryland Athletics and gave me the opportunity to just do a quick in-game hosting experience where at the end of the game, I'd get to interview a player. And I would be so nervous going in there. It was the season that Maryland men's basketball went undefeated at home. So every game I had the opportunity to interview a player and I was so nervous, but it gave me that confidence to know that I could do it. I was capable of it. Obviously I came prepared with my questions when it came time to interview and, and being a part of a live experience, I think was really important for me. 
And yeah, no, I think everything that you can do, rather it's live, rather it's taped, even a podcast form like this can only help you and can only give you experience being comfortable talking in front of camera, kind of figuring out your own cadence when you speak as well. And just even small schools as well. I, I've worked with Charleston Southern. I work with the Citadel. I work with, you know, some really smaller schools who put on amazing productions and, and those schools give you opportunities as well to try and figure out uh, how, how it looks like for you to call a game. So yes, I would say everything that I have done, I've messed up plenty of times, um, but every one of those mistakes, every one of those successes certainly has given me the opportunity to call and to be sell games for sure. Take me through those smaller schools. What's that environment like when you're working in a production like that and in, 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 in that environment? What is it like? Yeah, no, uh, it's really fun. I love college sports. I think college sports are so cool. And I love how, you know, it's obviously changed of late with um, all the big changes in the NCAA and the name, image and likeness situation. However, I think it's still really fun to cover younger people who don't have a ton of experience and, and they're still young and they're still trying to figure out they're still in school and talking to those players and kind of picking their brains about their team and their experience, but especially talking to the coaches as well. And, and it, it varies school to school, team to team. And some teams are doing great. Obviously some teams aren't, but it's really fun to kind of pick their brains and see what it's like to balance student athletes. And um, I'll call, you know, right now I have a play-by-play -play for a volleyball game tomorrow and kind of talking to some coaches about maybe they're not off to a great season, but, you know, how do they figure that out with a bunch of young students in transfer season? Obviously, in college athletics, you get athletes for, what, four to five seasons. But I also think, too, working um, for college sports, it's a lot of initiative on your own. I have to go out and track down the SIDs to come up with questions or try and get an interview with a coach before a game happens. So there's a lot of more behind the scenes involved, rather with the NWSL, um, our awesome producers and everyone sets up those calls for us. So yes, the college athletic aspect is really fun and it gives you more and more reps. But it definitely is, you know, a little bit more work on the behind the scenes and just to organize and make sure that you're fully prepared for those games. And do you feel like those smaller schools kind of help you in your work as an analyst for the NWSL in a sense, knowing that like you kind of get an understanding of like, oh, I need to do this or do that. And now in this bigger role where you're where you have those resources, do you feel like these smaller schools help you out in that sense? Yeah, definitely. I think you get to watch soccer, right? And you get to watch all different brands of soccer. And, you know, it may not be to the level of the NWSL, but you're seeing different coaches and you're watching different people coach or you're watching different people play. And how does a player pull off a situation in different situations? And, and maybe in some ways, how does that kind of relate back to the NWSL, right? Or looking at stats and figuring out to you and, and what games is it most important to care about the standings or to care about, how well a team has done in, you know, the final third of the field of late. Um, and just also meeting new people. I think meeting different coaches. Uh, I called a game last week where there's a player who plays for the Orlando Pride who used to play for him. And we started talking about her and talking about the impact that her playing in the NWSL has made on his college recruiting and, and getting girls to come to his school. And I think 
yeah, I think it's just, there's so many different things and different aspects that go into, you know, college athletics, um, that really a lot to the NWSL, right? It's, it's just soccer at the end of the day. So the more reps that you get to call the sport, the more reps you get to kind of hone your craft is the more, the better. Right. So yeah, no, it's been great. Yeah. And, and now back to the booth for a little bit, you've gotten a chance to cover NWSL games for, like you said, three years. Is there any environment that you enjoy the most to be at and be in the booth at compared to others? So we don't actually get to go to the stadiums to call games. So I can't necessarily answer that question, but I can answer it from a, you know, a perspective of when I've been to the stadiums before and I haven't been to every single one. So that's not fair to say, but I just think the biggest one for me uh, is Angel City. I don't think you can really match it. And because they have so many people funding it, right? And the amount of fans that show up, the the stars that show up to support them as well, uh, how they're always selling out BMO Stadium. Um, I think that that stadium is, is certainly electric, but I haven't been able to call a game there yet. Hopefully soon. Yeah, and, and you mentioned about um, how you're not really there for when you're covering the games. Um, is it is it more like you're in a studio and it's a virtual type of production or just take me through how the production of these NWSL games work? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's not necessarily a studio, so to speak. Um, it's just a Remy game, a remote game. So we get to watch the game on massive screens. We also get, you know, all the other camera angles before they actually come to the program, which is the actual feed of the game that everybody's watching at home. So it's a little bit different, but we're still sitting next to our play-by-plays, our analysts, our producers are, are right down the hall as if, you know, if we were in an actual booth at the actual stadium. But it just it's just how we call games for the NWSL. It's how we call games for a USL championship. Um, and it's been really fun. And I think one of the big positives that come out of that as well is we get to meet everyone, right? Like, obviously, a lot of NWSL games get played at the same time. So I get to you know, meet different analysts, get to know different play-by-plays, get to know different producers because we're always in the same so studio, so to speak, at the same time. So, yeah, and it's it's kind of how sports are progressing in general, right? Like so many different productions are going to at-home, you know, studio, off-site production. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of honestly all I know, and I like it. <laughs> now I wanted to dive into the NWSL a little bit more. I mean, decision day is coming up and a lot of high stakes. I feel like this is probably one of the more high stakes time to be a fan or be a supporter of the league because it's like the league has grown so much and we have a lot of parity between a lot of these teams. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of dominance coming up at the top, but with all the parity going on and and all these playoff spots that are still at stake, what sort of storylines are you kind of keeping an eye on as a broadcaster heading into this final weekend? Yeah, I think this decision day, well, first of all, it's the first time the league has ever done a decision day, which is so exciting. And for those who don't know what decision day is, it's every single game kicks off at 5 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday, which means by 7, 7.30, depending on how the games play out, we will know who makes it into the playoffs. And right now, there are only two teams out of it. It's Kansas City and Chicago out, Portland and San Diego are in and then you have North Carolina Gotham and Washington all tied at 30 points and then you have Louisville you have Houston and you have the pride in Angel City who are still in it so I think there's 
so much that can possibly happen. Nobody's safe. Like even North Carolina sitting in that third spot, they can still get pushed out if they don't get that result against Washington this upcoming weekend. So the two games that I'm going to be watching on my phone, on my computer, obviously I'll be, you know, following all six of them. But I'd say the two big ones that I'm really excited for is Portland and Angel City. I think Angel City in their second year in the NWSL have the potential to really do well if they make it into the playoffs. Becky Tweed has done a great job of coming in and changing things around midway through the season and helping them get results. Savannah McCaskill has been a massive piece for them. And this Portland side, I think they'll still come out to want to win. They're going to want to get those three points, but I'm very interested to see how Mike Norris sits certain players um, knowing that they're already in the playoffs. So that's a game that I'm excited for. And then you've got North Carolina playing Washington Spirit. And the Courage, they've had a really solid season. They've had their ups and downs, but even throughout the, the World Cup, they were still getting results. And now the Courage haven't gotten a result since they won the Challenge Cup. And they're going to be playing the Washington Spirit, who've played well of late. And I think that'll be really interesting to see. Can North Carolina push themselves over the top to stay in playoff contention after what's been a really incredible season. So there's so much that can happen. You know, to me, I don't think Houston Dash are going to make it in. I think Racing Louisville are hanging on by a thread. But I think if the Pride and Angel City play a very solid final game, those are those are probably the two teams that I'm following individually-wise. But those two matches I just referenced are the two matches that I'm excited to watch. But the one thing I've learned about the NWSL, Devin, is I'll never bet on it because – it changes every week. Like you literally have no idea who is going to win. So I think that's why this decision day is exciting. I think that's why all these matches are exciting. And I'm really excited to see who makes those top six spots. Yeah, I know. And I was, I was catching the wave in Kansas city current game a few weeks ago. And it's like, you know, you got the waiver at the top of the standings in Kansas city, who's at the bottom. And then, you know, here come the current with Dabinia scoring a goal and they end up winning the game. You know, it's like, I love that with this league is that you never get parity. You know, it's, it's always different. Well, even Kansas city, they, I mean, they've had such a hard year. They've had so many injuries this season. Dabinia has been injured. They had to deal with the world cup. Dee Bernardo's had her injuries. Gatraz had her injuries. The back line had to play with a bunch of, rookies for a while and then the rookies started to figure out their situation then some of the veterans came back they've had a coaching change you know this Kansas City team going into the 2023 season had no idea what was about to hit them and um, a lot of things that are out of their control but like you said they started towards the very end to find their mojo and played well against San Diego Um, yeah like you said it's just it's so fun and even the Chicago side you know they have slowly but surely been able to get a few results here and there once they got a new ownership this season. And, you know, Chris Petroselli is, is no longer the head coach there. Um, they have an interim head coach right now. So there are so many different storylines happening in the league at all times, which also makes this league so fun to, to follow as well. Because like I said earlier, you can follow all the storylines because, you know, there's only so many teams. Yeah, and I also want to talk about Angel City a little bit more. You mentioned Becky Tweed and the turnaround that they've had. Why do you why do you think they've been able to be so successful under her and be able to turn this around? Because I can imagine in a situation like that where you're not getting 
you know, the wins, you're getting, you know, draws and losses and you got it more of a younger squad, right? Alyssa Thompson leading the way. What do you think has been the biggest reason for why they've been able to stay in the hunt? Yeah, I think Becky Tweed brings this confidence that this team needed. The biggest thing when she took over and my biggest question to her was, you know, what is been the difference and like what did you change because we didn't really see too many tactical changes happen on the field so we all just assumed right like what's changing is happening in the locker room and and she said you know the biggest thing is the confidence that this team has gotten i mean you see jasmine spencer she has really performed great underneath becky tweet she's rather she's playing in the attacking position if she's playing in the back line in the wide areas She's helping this team get results. You see Savannah McCaskill playing a little bit of a higher line and being a part of the goal scoring and goal scoring herself, which has given Angel City much bigger presence in the attacking third that they didn't have before. And then you look at M.A. Vignola, who is a player that I cannot wait to continue to follow her career. I think she has an amazing ceiling. And this year is the first time we really got to see her get forward and and be a part of this Angel City attack. They took out Claire Imsley from that center nine role. They put uh, Clarice Lebion in that nine role, which has helped out this Angel City side. Sydney LaRue has more of an off-the-bench role. And given that spark, Alyssa Thompson gets to do her thing. I think there's so many individual things that Becky Tweed has changed. But what's been so stark is the confidence that she's giving those individuals. And then you you pair that with playing in Angel or playing in LA and you get to play in front of that crowd and, and be in California and, and have that experience. I think that's something that all those players really enjoy being in. And you could tell they really enjoy playing for tweets. So for all of those reasons too, like I'm, I'm hoping we see them past Sunday. I'm, I'm really hoping we see them in the playoffs this year. Obviously there's a lot of teams that are, I, I like to say so-called exciting or, or have a lot to bring to the table. Who's your sort of dark horse candidate um, out of the teams who are either in the playoffs right now or the teams that are, you know, dying for a spot. Who's your dark horse candidate to make some noise in the playoffs this year? To, to make noise, like pass getting in. Uh, I mean, obviously Angel City is, is a pretty strong dark horse since they're in that eighth spot right now, technically out of the playoffs if, if the season was over today. I think Orlando's a team who they play really good soccer and we started to see that look extremely com- uh, complete, especially with the players that they've been able to bring in. Rafaeli playing on the back line with Emily Madrill. We've seen Carrie Avello take off, Julie Doyle take off in the wide areas. I think Orlando, they're still a really young team, but they look really solid together. And I think that's the biggest thing with young teams is the consistency piece. Can they play that solid brand of soccer that we've seen them play, you know, in on Sunday in those final 90 minutes? So I'd say between Angel City and Orlando, if they find themselves in the playoffs, I think that's going to give them that confidence going forward to continue to pull off results. Yeah, and, and who's sort of the team to beat right now? Obviously, we mentioned and people have mentioned before about the dominance that Portland has had in the past. I mean, they are set to make their playoffs uh, again. They're, you know, they're the champions already last year. Um, who do you think is the team to beat right now as far as uh, heading into the playoffs? Portland's the team to beat. I did not think it would always be them and not that they've done anything wrong this season. season really, I think the beginning was there were some iffy moments. 
But right now they're playing really solid. And I think they've found some good substitutes in, in certain positions. Like Hannah Bedford coming in has been such a fun storyline to follow. Sophia Smith, she played in their last game, didn't get the start. Um, but Hannah Bedford playing in that role. You have Crystal Dunn playing in the midfield, feeling herself there. Uh, Sam Coffey has completed all of her passes essentially and been such a solid six for Portland. I think for Portland, they bring so much consistency. They always have that fear factor. They know what it takes to win. They have experience in every position. They are have a locker room where you look to your left, you look to your right, you see players who have been there before. And you can't say that for every single team. So to me, Portland, not only are they in the playoffs, they've clinched that home field advantage and getting that by. Um, they're that team to beat right now. They've shown the most consistency in the last handful of games here. Now I want to get to the San Diego wave. Obviously there's a lot of excitement here in San Diego coming with the wave, right? I mean, you know, the Padres didn't make the playoffs, right? And so the wave are like, kind of like the big sort of ticket thing right now. They're the hot item. And, um, you know, we got a lot of things going on with the wave. Um, they have an exciting opportunity in front of them because they have a chance to potentially play three straight home games if they do end up winning winning on Sunday, winning their home semifinal, and then obviously the NWSL championship game is in San Diego. What are your sort of thoughts or, or storylines that you're following with the Wave heading into Sunday and heading into the playoffs? Yeah, the, the Wave are in such a unique, awesome position to be in, especially because the final is going to be played in San Diego on November 11th. Um, they have the potential to just stay at home throughout this entire playoffs. And I think for them, it's the biggest thing, like Portland, I think consistency. Once you get to the playoffs, you know that you have what it takes to be there. You know you what you have, what it takes to get results. Um, I think Coach Stoney has done a really good job of shifting and moving players in different roles. Like when Abby Dahlkemper came back, putting her in a center back role next to Naomi Gurma, but not taking off Kaylee Real, um, just allowed success on that back line. And whenever you have a goalkeeper like Kaylin Sheridan, you always have an opportunity, especially in this league. And I think this NWS, or sorry, this wave side, has so much depth. Um, they're bringing in Carusa, her been able to get results in the attacking third for them in the last handful amount of games and her to bring a presence this late in the season just gives the wave more depth. So between consistency, between depth, between being able to sleep in your own bed and being able to go into your own personal training facilities and not having to travel, those small details add up, especially in the playoffs especially in what's been a really long season. And you have to remember, too, this is a World Cup year. So not only are a handful of these players, you know, also coming off of 21 NWSL, rather 22 NWSL regular season games, but also the travel to Australia and New Zealand and the World Cup games they had to play in and the emotional stuff that they had to go through, especially these U.S. players. So I think this San Diego side, if they can stay consistent, if they can stay at home, and if they can really lean on their depth, they have a great opportunity to potentially pull one out. I think it's been one of the more intriguing talking points when it comes to the wave this year, especially because last year, right, we were talking about how Alex Morgan was, you know, golden boot winner and she was scoring a ton. This year, it's almost kind of seemed like the opposite, right? Like she's not scoring as much as she used to score last year. And but they've been able to find resources in other ways and in other outlets what do you think's sort of been the biggest key to yeah. them being successful 
Well, I think Coach Stoney and honestly this team in general knew that you just can't go through Alex Morgan. You can't rely on one individual person to carry the weight, especially back-to-back seasons and especially in a World Cup year. So I think going into this season, Stoney knew that this would be a by-committee they have to change it and it have to be by committee to get goals and to get results this season. And there were some ebb and flows, especially when they went to Washington. There was a streak there where San Diego just could not get results. They could not string together opportunities. And I think Jaden Shaw is amazing. And her getting her second year in the league, figuring out what her identity looks like within this wave system, understanding Stoney a little bit better, maybe understanding the movement of Alex Morgan better. And then not only Jaden Shaw's opportunities, but also how she moves and she can drop back into that 10 role. She doesn't just have to be, you know, a forward within this wave system. Rachel Hill in the wide areas. Um, I think Jaden Shaw has been a really big key piece to this wave side. And it's been so evident in the second year. And even just getting the opportunity of late to go train with the U.S. Women's National Team. Um, she's been a massive piece to this. And I also think Danielle Col- Colaprico in the midfield, she's consistent. She's steady. You always can bet on Colaprico to win balls in the middle of the park and then distribute them forward when need be. So there are so many key pieces and key spots on that pitch for the wave that, you know, when Alex Morgan isn't available, they can still get results. Mackenzie Doniak is a player as well, who I would put in that role, just how she can play with Jaden Shaw. Rather, they're an assister to one another while they're goal scorers to one another. It doesn't matter. They they certainly have figured out their pad- their pattern within this this program. Who do you think is the biggest sort of important piece or important player that will make a big difference between the wave either losing in the first round or the, in the semifinal of the playoffs or may, winning the championship game? What do you think is who who's the biggest difference? The biggest difference. I think Kaylin Sheridan's the biggest difference in goal for this wave side. I think if she's not in goal, and even though they have such a strong back line, you put Naomi Gurma back there, you put Kaylee Real. I think Kaylin Sheridan just brings this extra level of insurance to the wave. Um, you can bet on her to play really good balls out of the back. She communicates well. She is just a player. Like when you're a defender and you have someone in goal that you know is not going to let you down, um, that's important. So Kaylin Sheridan's availability will certainly make or break, in my opinion, the Waves results the rest of the the rest of the season. And obviously with we mentioned Portland and San Diego locking up the home semifinals. Who do you sort of see or end up making the NWSL championship game? Let's put your magic hat on. Who do you think makes it? Oh my gosh, you're putting me on the spot, Devin. That's a hard one. The NWSL championship game. That is tough. Um, I would say that the North Carolina Courage are going to find themselves in the championship game. And I think... I think it's going to be Portland there too. You know, San Diego has had an amazing season and I know I'm talking to a San Diego fan and I think they've had a great year, but I think the consistency of Portland and something about North Carolina and how young they are and how naive they are um, might give them that extra edge coming into this playoffs. They have just shown it 
time and time again throughout the middle of the season, throughout the Challenge Cup, how they can score go- score go- wow score goals. They have a six goal differential right now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Portland, North Carolina, and I think Portland's gonna get another one this year. What do you think is the biggest key to Portland being? successful because obviously we mentioned about them having depth right and, and Sophia Smith's coming off of a pretty serious injury right I mean she's been out for a big stretch she played the back half of this last game but um who do you think is sort of the biggest factor in terms of Portland being able to take their home semifinal and and ultimately repeat again as champions yeah you know I, Becky Sauer runs back on the field for uh this Portland Thorn side which I think is important to them um uh, but I also think you know, there's not just like one key piece to Portland that makes them move and makes them so consistent year in, year in, year out. I think it's the overall principle and the understanding of how this Portland side identifies themselves and the experience. So I would say Sam Coffey is a big piece of that. She shields much going into that back line. And then I would say Sophia Smith and her goal scoring and how not only is she a great goal scorer, she gets it done on her own. I think for Sophia Smith, being extremely disappointed in the World Cup and how quickly the United States got knocked out this year, she's looking for some redemption. So you pair a very talented center midfielder in Sam Coffey. You put Crystal Dunn, who's out for blood, Sophia Smith, who's out for blood. And then you put in some of these really talented young players like Hannah Bedford, who wants a starting role. Um, There is so much there that I think is going to give them that result this year in the final. You mentioned North Carolina being in there, right? I mean, it wasn't too long ago that they had a pretty bad regular season. Um, You know, and they've been able to turn it around surprisingly this year, right? They won, you know, they were in the Challenge Cup. And what do you think has been the biggest reason why North Carolina has been able to turn this around? Obviously, we mentioned the great players that they have in Caroline and everyone else, but What's been the big reason for why North Carolina has been able to kind of stay successful and continue the winning ways that they've had in the past? Yeah, I think for North Carolina, they've changed a lot of how they want to play. Um, and they brought in some obviously younger players, but Denise O'Sullivan continues to be the anchor for that team. So that gives them so much consistency. Caroline's a talented player. She can score goals. And I think she's starting to understand the other movement of the players around her. But I also think giving younger players and different players opportunities has given North Carolina that edge. Now, they haven't had the success of late. Like since the Challenge Cup win, they have not gotten a win. And that's extremely disappointing if you're the Courage side. But I think you look at Ryan Williams and how she's been with this Courage side for years now and has always been a player coming off the bench or not coming off the bench. And now she's gotten the opportunity and taken full advantage of it being a a big piece down the flanks for this Kurt side, giving them opportunities to get balls inside. Um, You look at Narumi in the midfield as well and plays such a tiki-taka style soccer. I think overall for North Carolina, their brand of soccer is so different than the rest of the NWSL. Um, I think they move off the ball really well. They want to put the ball on the ground and possess with a little bit more of a purpose where maybe other teams – feel that they have maybe stronger athletes and and kick it up the field a little bit more and be a little bit more direct. So I think for North Carolina, they've figured out who the best pieces are in different roles, which has allowed them to have that kind of success within that system this year. But they're going to have to continue to, to figure that out lately because 
it hasn't been there of late, but I, I think they've got those, those young key pieces who can help them get that result. And you mentioned Portland and North Carolina being your final. Who do you kind of see winning that um, NWSL championship MVP? Because, I mean, obviously the MVP has to go to one person. Uh, who do you kind of see winning that? If I know it's obviously early, but who do you, who do you kind of see being that sort of key piece for, for Portland? Yeah, so if I had Portland winning the whole thing, I got to think about it. For Portland, I just think Morgan Weaver, maybe? Maybe Morgan Weaver will have a big game. You're talking about Portland so much, I can't believe I haven't brought her up. Uh, Morgan Weaver, let's go with that. I think she's had a great season so far. Uh, she's a goal scorer. She now kind of understands her responsibility and her connection with the back line a little bit more. Uh, we've seen, obviously, her connection with Sophia Smith and how comfortable she is within that Portland system. She's learned from the best and come up underneath the best. So, yeah, I, I think this could be a year for Morgan Weaver to eventually get an MVP. Yeah, I think she's one of my more like non, um, I don't want to say U.S. Women's National Team players that I enjoy watching, but like she's one of those players on Portland that I feel like people almost forget about, right? Because they have so many talented players on the team, Sophia Smith and Bella Bixby and so Sam Coffey. And I feel like her sort of skill set and the position that where she plays at almost gets underappreciated a lot, you think? Yeah, I think for Morgan Weaver, she's just playing with so many forwards who have that national level recognition that she doesn't have yet. Granted, I think Morgan Weaver has that coming. I think she has the potential to get a call up here soon, especially depending on who this new head coach is going to be for this U.S. national team side. Um, I think, you know, Morgan Weaver is just still a little bit young in her career, and that doesn't mean anything. I think she just has such a high ceiling. And I think that's coming for her, but you know, you, you're playing with Crystal Dunn, you're playing with Sophia Smith, playing with Christine Sinclair. It, it might take a few seasons until maybe you get that national recognition, but certainly in Portland, they know who she is. I know within the league, we all know who she is. Um, I think she's a player who honestly potentially could have been at the world cup, at least be a rotation player um, because she's got great size and, and great understanding of the game. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, it's going to be a very exciting decision day, a very exciting end of Brazil playoffs. I, f I feel like this year's playoffs has been like the more high stakes playoffs of, of compared to past years, just because of everything that's at stake. It'll be super exciting to see everything. What sort of things are you most excited about as a broadcaster, just as in terms of observing these games? What sort of excites you the most just heading into this final sort of stretch, this final championship game? What are you most excited about heading into it? Just watching the teams play. I'm excited to see who is going to bring it towards the end, especially, you know, you talk about the decisions that decision day happening on Sunday. Um, I'm excited to see who is, has that extra up, who has that ability to push it over and what teams come out prepared and ready to play. Um, I think just the play, the style and seeing who can get the job done is, is what I'm going to be looking for. Yeah, for sure. And I am i can't wait just because as a Wave fan, and I know you didn't have the Wave in your final, but that and that's okay. Um, but I'm just mostly excited <laughs> for uh, having the just the exciting soccer, right? I mean, this is this is what the league's all about. I feel like the league has grown so much from where I last followed it three years ago and to where it is now. Obviously, we mentioned about the U.S. Women's National Team and the whole situation going on with that and them trying to find a coach and, and things like that and just how the league's growing for you as a broadcaster, just seeing where the league has been and seeing where the league is at now, 
does the league's future seem very bright and optimistic to you and just seeing how things are going? Oh yeah. I, I think this league is going nowhere. And I think their ceiling is extremely high. And you look at the expansion teams that this league is pulling in uh, with the Bay area, BA area, they have Boston coming in, Utah coming back into the fold. I think this league, when they bring in those types of expansion teams just shows the investment level and and how much they want to see this league thrive. I mean, I think uh, Commissioner Bierman has done a great job of just leading the way. Um, and I'm excited for the future of the league. I think they have the opportunity to pull in, continue to pull in the best players in the world. And yeah, I think, like I said, the ceiling is extremely high. There's a lot of changes, a lot of great changes um, and some really talented players in this league. For sure. It's going to be an exciting stretch coming up. Anna, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you one more question. Obviously, there are a lot of young journalists watching the show or journalists that are just out of college or in college right now, and they may be aspiring to get into broadcast or get into sports in general. Um, what sort of advice do you have for them on being able to reach their, reach their goals, reach their dreams, and be successful in the field? Yeah, my advice is to stay the course. It's this business can be really challenging. It can be really hard and honestly it can be really discouraging at times, but you cannot allow that to kind of impact you at all. You just have to continue to work hard, take one game at a time, make sure that you're extremely prepared, do everything it takes to, you know, make sure you have the opportunity to, to speak with the people you need to speak to um, before you call games. I'd say network your butt off. Make sure you're, you know, on LinkedIn, trying to connect with other people, uh, ask questions, um, come prepared with questions to people that you look up to, and don't be scared to reach out to people. I, I know so many people love giving advice. I've, you know, been able to have some amazing mentors in this business who are always willing to help, and people want to do that. So work hard. Um, make the connections and just stay the course. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough business, but it's certainly a fun one. Yeah, certainly. I can probably say the same thing. I mean, it, like I said, it, the business, when you put the work in, you always get rewarded. That's what I always say about it. Anna, thanks for coming on. Listeners, you yep. can follow her on Twitter at Anna Witty underscore. She does a lot of great stuff with the NWSL as her own podcast. There's a lot of other stuff for the Big Ten, other sports too. Anna, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, Devin, so nice meeting you. Um, and thank you so much for having me on. Enjoy Sunday.